Welcome to the Real Life Roundtable podcast, conversations about culture, Christianity, church, and community, and where all those intersect as we explore real life with one another. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org. Hey, this is Pastor Rich, uh, Rich Doring here with Pastor Ben Chattel. We have a special guest we're going to introduce to you here in a moment uh, for the Real Life Roundtable podcast. And we have a special guest here today. Before we get to that, though, uh, we did mention a couple of weeks ago, if you've not listened to the podcast with Pastor Dexter Harris in Gary, we had a Together for the Region event and a couple Saturdays ago, uh, a bunch of people went came together. It's probably, I don't know, Ben, was like 85, 90 people? Yeah, total out there's probably like 90 people or so. There's probably about 30 from our church. Yeah, maybe. and we all gathered at uh, Dexter's Church in Gary and split up, cleaned up four pretty significant-sized city properties. Yeah. Um, it was it was a lot of hard, hot work, but yeah, it was it really was. a cool experience. And uh, if you jump on our church's Facebook page, you can see some of those pictures. But one of the things that I was really kind of encouraged about with that weekend was actually the students, the kids that were there yeah. that were a part of what was going on. In fact, there's a couple of kids there uh, and our special guest knows their dad. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, yeah. um, I'll just brag about it. Mike Gonzalez's kids, mm -hmm. they just jumped right in there and they were, they were working super hard. And I was, I was excited because, you know, I think we tend to generalize and we tend to assume kids will do certain things or won't do certain things. And it was fun to watch them surf. It yeah, was, they were like the opportunity. I walked with them a little bit and talked to them when we had a little bit of downtime before lunch. And they said that the highlight of their summer was doing all the mission projects with our church. And that wasn't their dad saying it. And that wasn't their dad right, making right. them say it. They were like, no, like, this is awesome being able to be a part of this and also being able to see that there are people in their church that are willing to go into those neighborhoods, go into those areas and just legitimately get dirty i mean it's a september saturday morning it was hot it was sweaty we're picking stuff up we're cutting trees down and it was it was a lot of hard work but they were like totally on board and, and it kind of ties in with you know our our student uh leader zach rudd you know through the summer he had these different projects going on one mm -hmm. with housing opportunities out of valparaiso where they went and they did some work with one of them um they also worked at the community garden right yep. here across the street. And, and those, they did a kid's camp with Dexter at his church. Right. Too. They did those kids really kind of stepped up and, and served in ways that I would guess most people would assume kids wouldn't be interested in serving in, but yeah. they, they kind of modeled that. So it was the, the cleanup day in Gary is pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty, pretty neat to just see a bunch of people come together and do that. It's kind of an example. And I, I can't remember the book, honestly, but, um, it talked about how parents always want their kids to have a faithful relationship with Jesus until they realize that their kids want to get involved in Jesus ministry that their parents don't want to get involved with. Mm -hmm. And you start to see that a lot when you see youth that want to engage, they actually want to better the world around them. And then their parents are like, wait, hang on a second. Right. I know that's a Christian value, but that's the one that might cost me a little bit of comforts. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So we have a special guest today and her name is Shauna Finley. And I don't like telling other people's stories. I like to sit and listen to their story. So Shauna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how we know you and just what you're doing here in the community that is specifically centered around the kids in our community? 
My name is Shauna Finley. I am have been rather a, a resident of the city of Portage oh, about 20, 21 years now. Um, born and raised in Chicago. That's where my family is from. I was born um, to a 16-year-old young lady. My mm -hmm. mom's name is Pam. I've never met my biological father, so that brings about a set of challenges as well. Um, I'm the oldest of 18 grandchildren, so wow. family really with a lot of trauma, drug and alcohol addiction in my family, lots of it. Hmm. I've been Christians, Christian since I was the age of 16. And um, the other thing is I was the first to graduate in my family from high school. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. So uh, lots of pressures there. You grew up yeah. on the South Side? I grew up where it was, born or? on the West Side of okay. Chicago, okay. right off of uh, Pulaski and Roosevelt, oh, a wow. very impoverished area. Yep. Okay. And grew up on the South Side in the Park Manor area, right okay. off of 71st, mm. not too far from King Drive. So if you're familiar with those communities, those that's where my family is from. Um, first one to graduate from high school. So that has really uh, pushed me to be able to do a lot of the things that I do now. Everything that I, I really focus on and I'm centered around is about kids. Mm -hmm. um, from ser serving youth to teaching, to being a principal and as a district administrator, to being a school board member in the community where I reside, which is here in Portage. Um, all about advocacy for kids, want to make sure that we have opportunities for them so that they can be their best and move things and barriers, get things out of their way so that they can then shine and kind of do some of the things that you all were just talking about mm -hmm. with, with Mr. Gonzalez's kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. We want them to find their own way, their own path, and, and, and support them on their journey. Mm -hmm. So that's the role that I like to play in this um, in this education world or, or helping youth out as a whole. Um, married to James. My mm -hmm. husband is James. And we have three lovely children. Mm -hmm. We have DeAndre. He's 29. He's an Army vet. Um, we have Davion. And he is 23. He Going back to DeAndre. DeAndre's back in school again, working on his computer graphic design um, at Ivy Tech. And I'm proud of him because he's still persevering and pushing through. And although he has some challenges that mm -hmm. he's dealing with around post-traumatic stress disorder, we have Davion, who's 23, who is in the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy right now. He is in the process of becoming um, a law enforcement officer in the area, and he'll finish in November. And then we have James. He's 15. Cool. And he, yeah, he's a sophomore in high school. And a football player. And a football player. I've been, I've been following, man. Basketball and track. Yeah. That's Cool. So you're involved in advocacy. Your yes. focus mainly is being an advocate for children, because like you said, they're usually the ones that are voiceless. So what... What have you recognized as some of the misconceptions around our education system and the relationship that we can have as a community with these children? Because a lot of times systems are great, but then a lot of times systems can be a crutch or systems can even be, they can be an obstacle. They can be a hindrance. So like, what has your experience been as far as how do you advocate for children? Well, uh, calling things out. <laughs> you okay. know, yeah. that's probably the main thing. Um, I think sometimes we get caught up in being politically correct about some things and someone has to be their voice. Um, that That's written in scripture, mm -hmm. you know, so we have to make sure that we are actually representing and being a voice for those who don't have a voice. Sure. Um, one of the biggest things that I'm addressing right now, and, and I'm not afraid to say this because it's not a secret, is diversity, equity, and inclusion yep. mm -hmm. within our own school systems mm -hmm. that we're dealing with. Um, I'm a huge supporter and I'm a, a big advocate of our community leaders and individuals that are in front of our children should be representative of the population in which where we live. Right. 
And we're struggling right right now with that in, in our own school system. And But those are things that we are aware of as a school board because I make sure that I say that out loud and that's not a secret. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable talking about that because a lot of the work that I do professionally is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I have an opportunity to uh, work with school districts across the country. Um, in, in Minnesota right now, just doing some work there. 22 school districts have decided to partner with my organization called Communities and Schools mm-hmm. to be able to help kids by providing a caring adult in front of all of those children in those 22 school districts. And that's important because if you're familiar with the landscape of Minnesota, there are a lot of Somalian people mm-hmm. that live in that in, yep. in, this, in that yeah. state. So at least they're recognizing we've got to do something different. Right. Um, I just want to say about our youth now and even about our education system, everybody in the education system right now needs support. Right, right. I don't care if the kids, the teachers, the parents, everyone, right. our, our superintendent, they all, everybody has been dealing with a lot since we have returned to school. Mm-hmm. And he, here's the, the challenge, though. Um, a lot of those inequities that have that were really risen rose to the top while we were dealing with COVID, post-COVID, those were things that Children before. Oh, and right. They are poor, our kids Mm -hmm. living in poverty, um, who didn't who don't have access to housing, adequate Mm -hmm. housing, adequate technology. I just saw something on TV today where ABC was talking about what Verizon is doing to support broadband needs and and not just kids in urban areas, but our rural areas too. Right, right. So just thinking about all of the children and just to make sure that we're trying to figure out what they need and then their families. Uh, None of this happens if the families don't have the supports that they need to be able to navigate some of these pain points as well. Sure. Um, Educating our parents. I think um, when COVID hit, there was a time when PTAs existed inside of the schools. A lot of that has changed since COVID. So we've got to get back to how are we personable with our families because they need to be able to see, touch, and feel the spaces that their kids are in. And they need to be able to see, touch, and feel the teachers who are having relationships with their kids as well. So those are a lot of the things that I talk about and 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 I really do push and advocate for is more of a community related uh, focused mission where we have our family and our and our entire community engaging and moving towards one direction. Okay. Can I ask just a couple of questions? Um, you know, from somebody moving from the outside in, you know, I've lived here in Portage for about 19 months now. So some observations. I've been in a situation where and, you know, we can call things what they are, white flight, where I was in a community, lived in a community where it was very clear that that there was a white flight thing that happened. Then I move here. Portage is different. This is not white flight. This is all of a sudden, Portage is increasingly becoming more and more diverse. And I've kind of been championing the idea that listen, this is an opportunity for the church to model what does it look like to embrace that then. And and adjust and become equitable and in model for really the rest of the world, what this looks like done well. So, and I'm not saying that we're doing it perfect or are going to do it perfect, but um, you have to start with an awareness. So when it comes to the diversity training, when it comes to, and my wife is, you know, we're fans, you know, we, you know, and uh, so we know kind of where you come from with all of this, but when it comes to the diversity training, what are some of the biggest hurdles and I don't want to put you on too much of a spot but what are what are some of the biggest hurdles that people who have lived or grown in a certain culture 
have to overcome in order to even understand and acknowledge that this is an issue that needs to be addressed and addressed aggressively sometimes. Okay. You have to address your own biases. Right. That is the first thing that you have to do. And and then people say, well, I don't have any biases. Well, there are a lot of things out there right. that you can do to assess that. And um, I've had the opportunity to be able to train on, on some of these topics. And, you know, um, I'll give you an example. One of the classes that I had to take to get my certification around DEI, um, it was about taking a Harvard explicit um, exam specifically, and it has all sorts of categories where you can assess your own biases, mm. and it spits out a report for you at the end. My wife took that oh, as a teacher. See, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, but you have an opportunity to find out what your biases are and who are you leaning more towards whenever you're mm-hmm. having certain topics or you have certain needs. So those are the types of examples that people would have to be willing right. to reach out to. And, and, and the challenge here, and I, and I had to answer about to something about on the paper recently about this. The challenge is if you don't have the resources to access a Harvard implicit, implicit bias test, and so you, you can even read or write, none of that is even possible right. because that means that more than likely the people that are taking those tests probably don't look like us. Right, right. <laughs> and especially if they're not in another language like Spanish. Sure. So thinking mm-hmm. about that, I even emailed Harvard just to say, you have to think about this and giving this test in a different languages if you really want to address biases because they don't just rest with Af- um, with Caucasian people. They rest with African-Americans sure. and Latinos as well. Did they yeah. respond? Uh, no, they have not responded oh, come yet. On. Come on. So when they respond, I'll let you know. They don't know they're not. I mean, they're messing with <laughs> Doc, Dr. Finley here. Come on. They haven't responded yet, but that's some of the things that we need to do. And it was, it's funny because in some of the responses that people get or give me after they're done, they're like, I never thought about right. it this way. You have I to be never... willing to be uncomfortable and acknowledge. I mean, it's and It has to be hard. safe. And yeah. you have to yeah. put people in a position where you can have these conversations safe. Mm-hmm. where people are not uncomfortable and well, they are going to be uncomfortable. That's just natural. And someone asked me recently, is it okay for me to say this to you? Yeah. It's okay for you to say this and to me. It was me. great for them to ask. Yeah. Please ask. Yeah. I want you to ask. Yeah. This is how we learn. Yep. We're still, I mean, this, this is how our, our children learn. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere down the line, something happens because if you put kids in a room together, they'll, this they'll, is, talk. This, they'll talk and hang out. Yeah. But you put diverse people, uh, adults in a room, it becomes very one-sided one group here, another group on the other mm-hmm. side of the room. So as you look at the diversity challenge in Portage, I mean, this is where we're located, um, part of a very dynamic region, changing region, okay? What are some of the specific, I'm, I'm really putting you on the spot now, what are some of the specific challenges, not even just for the school district, but but just as you, as, as a black woman who's lived here for 21 years, and you've seen some of the transition and change as well, I know you hear things, I know you see things, you even probably see some things for me. And that I that I don't see about myself. What are some of the biggest challenges that you think we need to overcome? Maybe even just as a church. You can talk specifically as a church. Here we go. Here's your safe space. All right. Biggest challenge. All African American and Latino people that move into the community are not bad. Right. That's the main thing. And I'm gonna give you a story. Which okay. seems so simple, <laughs> no. but it's like it's not. It's not. When we first moved into our home, Mm -hmm. 2005, I'll never forget, people got uncomfortable. We were the first African-Americans on our block in 2005, bought a home, brand new from the ground up, moved into this beautiful house. 
with th- with two two African American boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Years later, after our neighbors got to know us and saw how hard we work, my husband and I, and how we provided for our kids and how respectful they are, we we they, one of them came over and said, "I did not think that you guys would be this way." When you moved in, we really thought about moving. Wow. But see, that... hmm That's... <laughs> all right, how am I going to articulate my thoughts without having to edit myself out? Why do you have to prove yourself to your neighbors when... Specifically because you're black, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you have to prove that you're worthy to live in this neighborhood. And mm-hmm. It's just... It's gross. It's gross. It's messed up. But you think that's changed in 2022? No. The answer is no. 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 I mean, we, we've heard a story about a local car dealership that was racist towards one of their employees because he was black and was let go as a result of it. Mm-hmm. It happened. That was a couple weeks ago. So mm-hmm. that it's in 2022 20, and it's in our area. It's in our area. It's right here in our backyard. So that was that was a challenge because they were our friends. Sure. By this time. But they felt comfortable enough to say that to us. Right. And we laugh at it now. It's just, you know. Well, and I think it just it sad. illustrates a little bit of kind of what we talked about with Pastor Dexter. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard when you're the center of your narrative mm-hmm. to understand that other narratives. I mean, it just sounds so weird, but that other narratives have an equal quality. Mm-hmm. as yours mm-hmm. and you're not the defining narrative for anything and so it's just really hard and then you know we pick up stereotypical narratives of other people yes. uh, people who don't look like us or talk like us or right. act like us and, and all kinds of different things that we just make those stereotypical assumptions mm-hmm. and it's hard to climb over that so in those 20 years 20 plus years has anything changed a f- Slowly but surely, a very little bit, baby steps. Okay. I want to say three years ago, 2019, maybe 2020, Portage hired their first African-American police officer. Right, right. That that was hurdles. Mm-hmm. Now there are a couple of more there. One sure. of them is a friend of my son's, right. who's now a Portage police officer. That was... That's a big deal. That's a big right. deal in the community. Right. Now we've not moved that way with firefighters. We've not moved that way actually in... um. The city council right now, even in our government, we have a Latino. Right. He represents um, us as well. And, you know, just little small things that are happening. Is it moving fast enough? No. Well, and my question with that is, and it applies to the church too, is that integration or is that assimilation? Because I think you can include... You can hire a bunch of black and Latino people, mm-hmm. but are you saying we will hire you if you fall in line under our centered narrative? If you assimilate rather than we're going to integrate you because we want to learn from each other, we want to build an actual diverse workplace or a diverse community because diversity isn't just in numbers, it's in diversity of, like you said, with the schools, leadership. Are these kids seeing their teachers that look mm-hmm. like them, but also? speak the truth and not the narrative that they've been given. So I think there's right. it, there's so many layers to it. And if you probably were to ask these individuals, it's probably more assimilation than it is integration. Right. Right. It's Hispanic Heritage Month mm-hmm. from September the 15th to October 15th. I know. I've seen your Facebook. Right? I know. <laughs> and I did that on purpose. Sure. Because there's nothing around in this community that's celebrating that. Mm-hmm. And they, the Latinos in our community are the second highest population. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing here, nothing. 
Um, African-American History Month, nothing, nothing mm -hmm. happens. Now it happens at the schools, right. but I mean, as a community, do we embrace that? No, yeah. no, we don't. So it's more so assimilation than it is integration. Sure, sure. Let me ask you, I'm asking you questions I probably should ask you not on a podcast because I'm, I'm sure Ben's looking at his sheet thinking we are not talking about it. No, we're good. Right. I'm looking at what I wrote down. So, so here's a question. So, uh, from people who are, are trying to figure out how do we also model diversity, you know, as two white men leading a majority white church, mm -hmm. right? How do you, how do you do representation without appropriation? How do you, how do you, start begin making the move towards representation without being able to say, Oh, see, we had a black person on the platform yeah. or, you know, all that. How do you not tokenize? Right. How do you do this? How do you not? Yeah. I, does my question make sense? It does. Okay. It does. Um, because, because if you're going to move for diversity, you've got to put people in positions of exposure. You got to put people in, you know, the optics have to change. They do. Not just for the sake of the optic changing, but for the sake of what that optic represents and understanding that that we do live in a very diverse portage is more diverse now than it was 10 years ago. And it's not going to stop. And it should be celebrated. Right. And the church is hopefully moving in the direction of being more diverse now than mm -hmm. it was 10 years ago because it's being representative of mm -hmm. its community. Where's the line between forcing that representation, allowing it to happen organically I'm, I'm talking way above my pay grade right now like i even remotely know what i'm talking about but um do you, do you understand the thrust of what i'm saying i do you don't want to seem like you're just out here as you were just stating just recruiting yeah. individuals for numbers and to right, represent right. and it's all about relationships okay it ultimately comes down to being in a relationship with a person. And and I know people use the, oh, I don't see color. That's not true. That's not true. Please right. don't say that because right. we all do, yep. right? Yep. But it's about being in a relationship. I feel like I'm in a relationship with you. I'm definitely in a relationship with your wife right. where I'm comfortable enough if I have to ask her a question, I'm going to ask. And I think the feeling is mutual. Mm -hmm. um, right. She will do the same to me. And I have a few other people in my circle that will do that as well. Right. It comes down to the real, true, genuine relationship that you can begin with people. Mm -hmm. It can't just be, oh, here's whatever. Don't put me on the platform or on the stage and you don't have a relationship with sure. me. We have to be in mm -hmm. relationship because with that comes trust. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And that's a sacred thing. It is. You know, I have we to trust all know. You. We all know. Right. And you don't want to cause more damage than no. already has been done. No, so. you don't. We want to change people's lives. We want to bring people into our flocks, I guess, with air quotes. Right. But do we put them in a position where they have to earn it or are we putting them in a position where they become a tool for our agenda or is it creating a space that has healthy relationships and has healthy ministries and then people just tend to gravitate towards those because right. we were mm -hmm. talking about that with we had a, a thing about gender and sexual identity this last weekend where it was a, a learning experience for us to hear from somebody a lot of it was it's not a matter of trying to make yourself and brand yourself a certain way to be welcoming to a community. It's just being a healthy church that treats people in a healthy way, in a loving and honoring way, in a dignifying way. And then there's already a seat at the table or there's already at least room for them to be with you just because you're doing what you're supposed to do rather than how do I brand myself and like can myself so that way I'm inviting to people. Mm -hmm. It's just doing what you need to do. Right. Being who you need to be. 
Yep. Yep. How do you think um, inequality in our culture is impacting specifically the students? How, how are children who are not white um, being hindered or um, restricted in our community today? Um, again, I have an answer. Okay. Housing. Housing. Let's talk yeah. about housing. Okay. It's hard yeah. right now, financially, for a lot of people. Right. Um, and when you think about parents and the situations that they are more than likely in, housing is a challenge in Portage. And I think rent just went up a couple hundred bucks for everybody. It yes, keeps it did. doing it. It keeps doing it yeah. every year. And it's, it's not going to be, it may not be sustainable for children of color, their mm -hmm. parents of color to be able to sustain the housing. I mean, I live on Airport Road. Right. And I remember what I paid for my house. Right down the street, those new homes that are being built right by the high school. Are probably twice as much. They're twice as much. Yep. I know that they are. They're twice as much. So now we just created a system where are they going to, are individuals in, who live in Portage going to be able to afford to live in Portage? Right. Are we, is this a, is this a way for us to try to move them out? Right. Yeah, is it a, it feels to me in my own ignorance maybe like gatekeeping because mm -hmm. property value is just a number especially when the people that own the properties get to dictate what that number is because they already are there. So if we increase our property values prevents other people from getting in. I mean, isn't that essentially what that is? It is. Do we build for what we want or do we build for who we have? I think we build for what we want okay. versus for who we have because right. if you look at who we have, and looking at data, 54% of our families are are free of reduced lunch in the school system. Right. So that's rec reflective of the community. Sure. More than likely. And that was before COVID. Right. So I can imagine it's only higher now. If 54% of our community is getting assistance for lunches and mm -hmm. our property values keep skyrocketing to keep people out, mm -hmm. where does it end? And that's the question. Does yeah. it end? In what ways does that affect the kids? Well, Kids that are living in more impoverished or lower income areas mm -hmm. are less likely to have a teacher who's licensed, mm -hmm. a licensed professional, less likely to have all of the resources that they need in that school. Okay. And they are less likely to be able to, it's not even the graduation part, but it's that caring adult piece. Mm -hmm. Because the teachers are more than likely in those very same communities, they're going to make less money. Right. Which means that they can't stay after school to do all these other extra fun things. They have to probably go get a part-time job sure. themselves. Sure. To be able to keep up with their own maintenance of life. So it's a challenge. And I was at a, a workforce development uh, meeting a, a couple of weeks ago. And I was part of a very small, intimate group around uh, what's happening in the region and what can we do with the workforce? Because that's a whole nother topic. Sure. But one of the things that's been coming up since I've been living, I've lived in Indiana specifically when we transitioned from Chicago, we moved to Gary. Okay. Been living in that area, this area since I was 17 years, 16, 17 years old. Transportation yep. in this area is non-existent. Is non, it does not exist. And and yeah. and it's almost like, and 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 I a part of me feels this way. And I could be wrong, Lord. You know I could be wrong. 
the transient population makes individuals that don't look like us very uh -huh. nervous uh -huh. because I can now hop on a bus to go from point A to point B, now have more access to things right. like I'm, I'm jobs. Mobile. I'm mobile. I'm mobile or school. Yeah. Well, I mean, housing opportunities is building apartment complexes in Portage. Mm -hmm. Their biggest concern now is how do we get them jobs? Because they all the jobs anywhere. are on the other highway on the other side of town. And if you're homeless or if you're housing insecure, you got to figure that out first before you get a job, but you got to get a job to be able to sustain yourself. It's just, it's a vicious it's cycle. It's a very broken system. It is. It is. Yeah. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And all I can say was we've been talking about this. That's all we've been doing is talking about it since I can remember when I was, you know, trying to finish up high school. That's not a win-win for us. It's not a win-win no. for our community. No. It's not a win-win for our kids. And then if you think about our students too, and once you say that you're going to, if they can no longer afford to live here in Portage, we move them someplace else. There's another big thing that we don't we we forget about food insecurities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, food desert specific, but to be sure. more specific, I can tell you, I remember living in Gary and I remember having to go to Key Market. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a grocery store that we could go to. Those don't exist no. anymore. Connected back to transportation. I can't even get a ride to go get my food anymore. Right. If you look in Gary right now, and I'm, and I'm just using them as an example, sure. they have to travel all the way down to either 11th and Broadway. If you live in the Glen Park area, you have to travel down to 11th and Broadway for a grocery store, 25th and Grant, or 53rd or 61st and Broadway in Merrillville. Right. Those are your larger grocery stores. Other than that, you just have the corner stores where they charge you $6 for a gallon of milk. Right. And any other little quick necessities that you need. As far as fresh fruit or it, all look, that stuff, it's nothing. not there. It's not existent. And, and unfortunately, I've heard it already said, Maryville's not what it used to be. Yeah. And you're right. So, and even in Portage right now, what we're dealing with, we have Portage and right next door we have Valpo. Yeah. They are two different Absolutely. communities. Yeah. So... I, I want to invite the the leaders of Gary. I'm not Gary. I'm so used to talking about Gary. I'm so sorry. You're good. Of Portage to be able to figure out a way that we can all support each other. I, I, I have countless examples. I got a good friend right now. He was working in a school district, an urban school district, not too far from ours. Okay. In, the, in one of the three, Gary Hammond, East Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put those three there. I encouraged him to try. He lives here in Portage. I tried to get him to, you know, come here, find a job here. He says, no, mm. no, I'm not. A mm. couple of things. I know that they're not going to be welcoming. Mm -hmm. So we've got to figure out a way to become a welcoming community. Right. And I know that they're not going to pay me a, a decent, decent wage. Those are the two mm. challenges. Very educated African-American male with a wife who's very educated with two children live right here in Portage. Mm -hmm. And that's one that's one example. That's just yeah. one example. I know a lot of professionals right here in our own community who are of Latino culture or African-American background and will not cut ties with where they grew up because our community has not welcomed them. Right. That's the best way for me to say it. I mean, it, it goes to bias and it goes to some other things. We sold a house uh, that we lived in and moved through a backyard, which was weird to a different house, just bigger. Uh, but we sold our house to a Hispanic family. Uh, he was, he was Mexican. Uh, she was white. And um, we just became really close with them, had them over for dinner, all kinds of different stuff. And I was sitting in the backyard with Eli. Now his name was Elias. 
E-L-I-A-S. Now, I would look at it and say Elias, right? But Hispanic, Elias. But yet every single shirt he wore had Eli on it from work. And he had this great job. I mean, he worked for a great company and everything. But it was pretty much understood. And I asked him one day, I said, hey, you know, as a as a Latino growing up in, in the community and all of that kind of different stuff, what what kind of racism have you experienced? And he said, every day. He says, every day I have to go by Eli. Because if I answer the phone or if I interact with somebody and I tell them my given name, Elias, it immediately puts up a, a wall. Shelly had the same experience. My wife taught at a inner city uh, high school in Racine, Wisconsin, uh, very urban. And my wife is the best educator I know. She's an amazing woman. And um, she did this thing. She teaches culinary arts and she has food truck competition where these kids would come up with food truck concepts and they'd come up with a menu and they'd come up with a business plan and they would design it. They would cook the food, all this stuff. But they also didn't have any money and the school didn't provide them any money. So they had to call different businesses for sponsorships routinely over and over and over again. These Latino and black students would either get the phone hung up on them. And, and Shelly had a script. She would like type out a script. These kids are reading a script. And yet these, this is going to sound horrible, but these white owned corporations and businesses, some of which if I said the names, people would know them were, I mean, literally these kids couldn't get half of the script out before they were either hung up on or we don't, we don't do that. And then finally it was just recognized. And some of them were like, you've got to change your voice. You've got to sound different. And so they gave the script to the white girl in class and got all of the money because they were like, Oh yeah, sure. And it's that kind of a situation that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but. And it doesn't end when they're kids either. So it's a generational thing that happens because I saw it in the business world when I was in sure. construction and everybody felt the need to mention when a new person or a new recruiter, a new re apprentice was black or Hispanic as if it was some kind of a warning, like buckle up. There might be a new set of challenges because your new apprentice is he's black. Like, mm -hmm. like it's a thing. But then I also know stories of people that would, because when you're, when you look like me, for whatever reason, white people that have racist things to say, think that I'm a safe space. So sometimes they really you, do, man. So sometimes you hear some things that are just outlandish. <laughs> ben and, can handle this. And people will, I've had somebody say like, yeah, well, I had there, I had two candidates to pick to hire and one was really qualified. Great guy. I think he'd be really good. But, you know, he was black. He had a couple earrings. He kind of dressed too flashy. I just didn't know if I could hire him. Why? Why? Because he was black. That's why you hired the less qualified candidate. But then down the pike, down the river, like we talked with Amy, it's why are there these crises and why are people struggling? Right. Well, it must be because they didn't work hard enough. Mm -hmm. What about that person? What about what about Eli or Elias? Mm -hmm. Like what? A, I want to make sure to those aren't stories where I'm like, Oh, see how woke I am. And I get that. Those were actually learn, learning moments for me. Oh yeah, for sure. I, it made me realize, I mean, when I asked Eli, I'm thinking overt racist, whatever, not me. You gotta change your name. That to me, that, that kind of rocked my world a little bit. Yeah. And in the situation with Shelly and the students at the school, she's so much better at this than I am. Um, 
but but those students in the school that made me appreciate a few things even and Shelly would even say this learning how to pronounce people's names correctly I mean, dignity. Think, yeah, think about the dignity associated with that. Think about the lack of dignity. And and I, I just want to reiterate, those were huge learning moments for me mm-hmm. where I I kind of had my eyes opened and maybe my my biases checked in those moments mm-hmm. too. Children is your focus. So I want to try to somehow <laughs> figure out how to circle us back to that. <laughs> it's my fault. I apologize. As the producer of this. Um. You were the only person, you were the first person in your family to graduate high school and things like that. We, and we've talked about this multiple times in this podcast, we're far more reactionary than we are proactive. One of the reactions to play devil's advocate, what do you say to the misconceptions about children, especially people of color, when they don't reach this level of success because the one glaring one that I'm going to say, and I just feel bad saying it, but like, what do you say to the, the, well, isn't this just a fatherlessness issue when it comes to why kids can't assimilate, why kids can't integrate, why kids are the way they are? Well, this is really a fatherlessness issue. So I don't want to explain it. I would much rather have you explain that because it's part of your story. Yeah, it is. Um, so my mom remarried when I was a little bit older, but I, I will tell you this, and, and I struggle with this even um, right now a little bit because I've never seen him, don't know him. And um, I just thank God that he was a father to me when I needed a father. Grew up with a lot of trauma. Um, and not that not everybody can overcome the trauma that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Everyone reacts and responds to things differently. Um, I was fortunate enough to have um, a couple of cousins and, and an aunt, a great aunt, my mom's aunt, who always told me I was smart. Mm-hmm. They would always encourage me and, and support me whenever they would come around. Now, they lived in Aurora, Illinois back in the day. So Aurora was a, Bolingbrook area was a very upcoming, mm-hmm. diverse community, lots of resources. And they would come over to the west side of Chicago where th- their mother, grandmother lived. And they would always be uplifting to me personally. Everyone doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And even if you have it, um, your own trauma, we don't know what kids go through. Sure. We don't know what experiences they've had. Um, I have had the unfortunate opportunity or fortunate, depending on how you want to look at it, to sit down or, and have kids across the table from me when I was a principal to talk about some of the traumatic experiences they went through. Being raped mm-hmm. by a family member. Um, accidentally, um, someone accidentally um, laced my cigarette with something and my mind is never going to be right again, you know, or I'm going to be disabled. So I had the fortunate, and I'm going to say it was fortunate because we, I've had to have some conversations with these kids to help guide them along their way. So I would say to anyone that's working with youth, anyone that knows, has kids in their own family, we can't throw people away. Mm-hmm. That's not what God called us to do. I don't care how much they fight it. <laughs> kids like structure. Kids want a caring adult in their life. Even though I, I sit here and talk about my father that I've never seen or met before, I still would like to have a relationship with him. He's not here anymore. I've learned years later that he's deceased. But even as a kid growing up, I still wanted to, in my mind, I had this picture of him. Well, there's an ache. Yeah. You know, you get yes. That. Yeah. yeah. A, a void, you mm-hmm. know, trying to figure out who I'm connected to and where do I come from? Mm-hmm. Because we don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. 
you know? And I used to, as growing up as a little kid, and especially depending on how these kids are growing up, I grew up without a dad. My siblings grew up with their dad. Okay, so they all for me for in my through my eyes they were all blessed. So think about our kids that are like that. Right. You know, I've never known mine. They have theirs. So I always had to feel like I had to fight a lot harder for mm-hmm. some things. But what about the kids who don't or don't have the will to fight harder? Who turn to drugs or they're not to being alcohol. told that they're smart like right. you were? They don't right. have that person in their life to speak dignity and speak kindness. Yes, yes. I mean, you've probably seen enough stories where sometimes all it takes is one. That's all it to takes. To be able to do that. And all of a sudden, so talk to us kind of as we kind of land things here, just tangible ways then, because I think this is a good segue into what the church can maybe do. What are some ways like the church um, followers of Jesus can advocate for, support, love children in our communities? Um, I we, And I want to make sure before we're done too, you have an opportunity to talk about the organizations that you represent too, but, but how can the church... What are just some tangible things that you've seen happen? Relationships matter. Okay. So that is some of the work that I do right now. Um, yeah. Having a caring adult to be able to support kids is important. Okay. Um, sometimes we we see things. When I was when we were growing up, and I mm-hmm. have to say we, because I have a feeling that you are probably somewhat similar. When when somebody down the street saw something going on, oh, yeah. see something, say oh, yeah. something. Oh yeah, they were gonna knock on mama. Yep. <laughs> Because it took really all of us. I know we say it takes a village, but it really does. We can't just say, oh, we see something and we walk away from it. Right. We should be able. Or if we share the information, it's not, we're not judging you. No, we're we're not. We're not. Something's going on. We're not. And especially if it comes to their parents. Right. And if you have a relationship with their parent. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse to me than you know something and you, I don't want to get involved in anyone's business. We're, we're in the business of taking care of God's business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really that means taking care of God's people. Yep. So I stand wow. on that. Yep. Um, it definitely loving everybody, loving our neighbors. I mean, I gave you my story earlier sure. about loving we were the only African-Americans in Dog on It. We got in there and we, we got in where we fit in. We still played our music. We still had our barbecues. Mm-hmm. We still laughed. And we were who we, we God yeah. has called us to be. Yeah. You have to accept me as my whole self. We have to accept our you as their whole selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever they're bringing to the table, deal with whatever they're bringing to the table, but help them navigate how to deal with yeah. what they're bringing to the table. Right. Dif- differentiating cultural differences, but then also generational differences from... Yes issues yes not every cultural difference is an issue to overcome not every generational difference is an issue to overcome you know and i think that's probably one of the most exciting things is when you can immerse yourself in somebody else's narrative when you when you get to experience something else that somebody else i mean i'm not there's a whole lot of things i don't bring to the table but when you can go and experience i mean man yeah i mean Something beyond yourself yes. is is a really big deal. It's a gift, I think, to be able to 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 experience those things. But we just gotta let our, our guard down to do and it. And loving loving people's whole selves makes me think yeah. of our time in Guatemala yeah. in Palmarcito because the those church members, they go door to door and they love on their neighbors. They find out how they're doing, they find out how their kids are doing, how their family's doing, and then they'll leave the house and then they'll tell you their story. And it's like, yeah, that dad's a drunk. Yep. Dad abandoned them, or yep. that's his third wife, or they're not really very nice to their family, and they know all the baggage, but yet you would never know because they're still loving to them. They mm-hmm. still get to know them. They still invite them to church and be a part of things, even though they know all the baggage that would 
here culturally, not here just in Portage, but like here in our American culture, we have disqualifiers on who gets to be a part of our lives. And we definitely need to talk to our kids, yeah. find out who, who yeah. they are and what they need. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we make an assumption about who they are and what they need. Yeah. If you don't sit down and talk to them, they're they're not just going to necessarily open up and tell you. Yeah. But you, I keep going back to this word relationship. You have to be in relationship with kids, yeah. especially now more than ever with technology and social oh, media yeah. going rampant the way that it is. We better figure out a way to be in a relationship with our children because technology you said, has. You said old people stuff. We're old people, aren't we? Yeah, like, we look well, at the technology. We are. We are old people. We are old people. I there's a there's a reason why I'm on this side of the table. <laughs> no, we're old people now. It's okay, yeah. Sean. I'll be with you. No. But I wanted to say thank you all for uh, giving me the opportunity to yeah. share my story because yeah. Can you I, talk a little bit about what you're doing? What what are the ways? Yeah. What do you that want you us are, to know? What do you what, what do you want people to know about what you do? Uh, who you do it with, all that. Oh, I do a lot, but I'm yeah. gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with the big thing that okay. I do. I work for a nonprofit called Communities in Schools. It's a national nonprofit, and what we do is we deliver integrated student supports to school districts across the country, and we provide those school districts with that caring adult. We help them raise those funds to be able to do that work. We're in 26 states right now. My job is to expand that reach. Do you work with individual schools or districts or? Typically, it's with the district. With the district. Okay. Are there any districts in Northwest Indiana that you're doing it with? I I don't. Well, my organization, yes. The uh, CIS of Lake County. Okay. There is one. And actually, um, I used to, how I found out about them when I was the principal of East Chicago Central High School. Yeah. So because of my work with them, it led me to the work that I'm doing now. Gotcha. So they provide those supports in Hammond, Gary, um, East Chicago, and they I, where I used to be the principal, Neighbors Educational Opportunities, Yeah, they actually have a partnership there now. Over here off of six? Yes, they do. Really? Yes, they do. They have a partnership okay, there as wow, well. Wow, cool. Yes, yes. So that is the work that I do. And like I said, my job is to expand. I'm in the process of expanding to New Jersey, yeah. Minnesota. I'm on my way to Colorado this week. Oh, to you do were some in D.C. Expansion. not long ago, right? Correct. Okay. I, was, I was in D.C. Um, I actually am sitting with the Department of Education, wow. um, specifically the Secretary of Education and his deputy. To, we have a partnership with them, and I'm the contracted person that sits at the table Hmm. for the National Partnership for Student Success. Okay. So President Biden has uh, put a lot of resources there, and we get in and we provide technical assistance to organizations who need help around this youth mentoring and youth uh, case management support. Cool. So you're cool. in the thick of it all. Yes. So you can answer this question, because I know that some there's a perception out there, and I've fallen into this perception too, that there's just no way for the church to get into the public school. So if I am, you know, I'm an adult, at least I think I am. He's the young one. We're old. So I'll represent all the other adults that are maybe listening to this or whatever. How do we fight that misconception? Because you're saying that you part of your organization is getting trustworthy, caring adults into schools. Well, how does that happen? Because I thought trustworthy, loving Christian adults have no place in the schools. So how do we find our place in those schools? Well, volunteer. Yeah. That was actually my last thing on my list, believe yep. it or not. So you hit, you landed okay. exactly See? where I wanted to. Um, every My experiences, I'm putting my experience on, mm-hmm. I welcomed individuals into my building. If they wanted to volunteer, you just have to do a background check, an application, and get some training on what it means to volunteer. Um, learn about FERPA, which is the Family Employment Rights to Privacy Act, that you can't go out and tell people what's happening in the school building with this right, particular kid. Right. You can't share private things. Yeah, sure. But other than that, yes, please, we need you. Yeah. Um, we're calling for 250,000 volunteers right now to get into 
um, the, the school districts across the country. And you better believe we want the churches to have a seat at the table. Proactive, again, instead of reactive, because then you're yes. actually there. You're building relationships. You know these kids. Rather than hearing a narrative about these kids, you're actually making a difference. You might not be able to make cross-the-board differences around the whole country, but you can at least make the difference in somebody who's actually in your neighborhood rather than concerning yourself with changing the whole entire world. And that's even better when you're the local grassroots, right? Because yeah. you know the community, you're connected to the resources that are in that community. That's well, and you even see better. it immediately, too. Yes. You see the effects. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shauna, um, on behalf of my wife, you are somebody who, Shelly and I get excited when we talk about you and see the things that you're doing, and we're glad to to know you and James and and just thrilled about the stuff that you're doing and, you know, just even know about half of what you're doing. So I just want to thank you you for being, for being who you are and being true to who you are and, and for giving pastor like me a, a shot every once in a while. Uh, I appreciate it. I, do. I appreciate you guys. I Thank you it. so much yeah. for inviting me. Is there me any anything else you want to share? Any closing thoughts you have or anything? I say if, if you ever want someone to come and sit and talk again mm-hmm. in the future about any topic, I'm your any okay. topic I can relate to. Let me sure. clarify. Okay. Sure. I'm sure. your girl. I, right. I definitely welcome the Tell us what James would talk about. What would James talk about if we asked James to come? You don't want to know sports, be, sports, sports or BOF, yeah. the engineering department. He's oh, okay. in. Gotcha. Yeah, the yeah, steel yeah, mill yeah. fund. Gotcha. No, gotcha. He, honestly, he probably would talk about what it is to raise um, African-American men in this in this era, mm. in this generation. OK, he is uh, he is a mentor to a lot of young kids. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He, he really is. He would be a great guy to come talk okay. about those sorts of All things. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. Never know. Yes. Now we're now we're going to scare him. I know. <laughs> Get him. <Yeah. laughs> well. Go ahead. No, I just said thank you again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So we're going to have, we're just going to keep plugging along with these interviews. We're going to be trying to find people that are doing things um, in the church and outside of the church. And just building relationships with people is never a waste of time. And it's mandated by Christ to how to build his church. So we're just going to keep having these conversations. If you have questions along the way, we would love it if you would send them our way. Um, if you have topics that maybe you'd want us to cover and talk about, feel free to send them our way. Um, we're trying to take a posture of learning first so that way we can love better and and be a little bit more proactive when it comes to to loving our neighbors. So see you Sunday if you're a part of our church. But if not, we will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. See you. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, Follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org.